Heart saying of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 12. Follow along as I read aloud, would you? I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you view us in that way as more value than many sparrows. And I pray that as we listen to your word today, as Anthony brings it to us, would you give him clarity? Would you give us open hearts? Would you help us to understand some things that are sometimes hard to grasp about you? We thank you for the challenges you put in, in, in front of us. We ask that you would make us worthy of them today and transform us by our time in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, John, for making those announcements short. <laughs> well, today we're talking about fear. The dictionary defines it as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. An unpleasant emotion we humans seem to be uh, captive to, actually. Why do, why do you think people seem to be drawn and almost driven by fear? Well, for one, I think there are uh, terrible and very real scenarios for which we all can sometimes find ourselves in. Um, in other words, they are in, inescapable. They are legitimate things that we encounter, and they are, they are fearful. And two, as psychology today explains, uh, one theory is that humans have a genetic predisposition uh, to fear. And it is interesting that we worry about everything from snakes, spiders, heights, water, uh, needles, uh, right? My son is needles. Um, I, I know someone who is terrified of moths. Legitimately terrified of moths. So, uh, therefore, I think fear might be a, a, a difficult thing to, to actually verify. But whether or not we can agree on what is verifiable, I think it's fair to say that fear definitely drives much of society. We live in what uh, W.H. Auden, in his very long poem, called uh, An Age of Anxiety. An age of anxiety. His, his poem was written in 1947, and I'm not a poet, and so therefore I'm actually more familiar with the 2022 song written by Arcade Fire, uh, Fire which um, shares the same uh, title. Uh, I don't, perhaps you're familiar with Arcade Fire. Uh, anybody? Anybody? No? Um, uh, there's, there's a song called Age of Anxiety. And, it, and it, I'll, give you a little, I'll give you a snippet. How about that? I'll give you a snippet. We're, we're, we're exchanging culture today. Um, the song goes, it's the age of doubt, and I doubt we'll figure it out. Is it you or is it me? Age of anxiety. And there's a little parenthetical whisper in the song that says, are you talking to me? It's real <laughs> ominous. Um, Fight the fever with TV in the age when nobody sleeps and the pills do nothing for me in the age of anxiety. 
and then it really picks up. Living in the age of, living in, yeah, uh, in the age of, yeah, yeah, and there's a piano, that's pretty good. Anyway, um, our culture is consumed by fear. Uh, just on, on my Wednesday morning digital meanderings alone, I noticed how some people were afraid that the evangelical commercials, which aired on Super Bowl Sunday, did not convey the problem of sin in the world clear or well enough and perhaps supported the pursuit of Christian unity at all costs. That's one gathering. Um, I also noticed, and maybe you've noticed, that there still remains two uh, polarized political sides, terrified that certain worldviews will one day be legislated and imposed on society as a whole. Have you, have you noticed that? <laughs> oh, oh, and yeah, Wednesday was the day that I was, comp- I was made aware that the Amazon is headed for complete and utter collapse. Just three little snippets. Now, I'm not making a commentary on any of these matters, just an, an observation, an observation. People in our world are plagued by paranoia, plagued with paranoia, which brings us to the hard saying of Jesus this morning. You see, in the text, he too is talking about fear, and that's why it's relevant. And what's interesting is that from first glance, it could, see, it could seem like he's saying something contradictory on, uh, on, uh, around the subject of, of fear. Because it's really interesting, and you, I'm sure you caught it in the reading, he, he, he first tells them to be afraid, and then he tells them not to, not to fear. And so, which is it? To fear or, or not to fear? That, that is the question uh, today. Um, this is the dichotomy that we are dealing with in the text. And so as we attempt to unpack this passage, the context is critical to our understanding. So if you have your Bibles, I don't, it's not up there on the screen. You can, you can just flip back to chapter 11 if you want to, or you can just listen. But beginning in, 30, in verse 37 of chapter 11, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is approached by a Pharisee, one of these uh, experts on religion, and he's invited to come over to his house to share a meal. You're probably familiar with some of the story. What's interesting is while at this meal, the Pharisees find it astonishing that Jesus does not wash before the meal. And they are stunned and they are offended at how he breaks this tradition. It's kind of like when a person gets incensed when someone doesn't take their hat off indoors or doesn't stand for the national anthem. What I mean, it's when, when people and their personal rules become laws, laws that they want to govern everybody by. But what's interesting is that what infuriated the Pharisees the most, however, was not necessarily what Jesus did. It was actually what he, he said. And, and it's you know, I don't know if the kids still use this word, but it, it's, it's savage. He's, he's, it's, he's savage with them. In verse 39, it says, he says, Now you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. That's a hot take. That's a hot take on these holy, holy people. With these words, Jesus, he puts these religious fools on notice, and apparently an enemy is solidified. And so as chapter 11 closes, we see the religious experts 
And I quote, lying in wait, hoping Jesus will make a mistake, uh, one significant enough for them to pounce on and deal with him in a legal way. Jesus now has a very dangerous adversary, and by default, so do his disciples. And this is the context of the hard saying that we're reading this morning. You see, the disciples' lives now, because Jesus' life is in danger, the disciples' lives are in in danger uh, as well. Just because of the close proximity they share with the Lord, now they they also get to share in all of his suffering, but also the danger of of, um, bodily harm. And you can almost hear, and perhaps this is, this is me um, putting some of my own thoughts and feelings into the text, but you can almost hear the neuroticism conjured up in the minds of especially the 12 disciples. Something like, teacher, Lord, did you really have to call them hypocrites and fools? Re- really? Do you have to draw such severe lines with your rhetoric? You know, can we just, like, you know, just chill a little bit? Uh, you know, this is pretty, pretty, pretty dangerous things to say, Lord. And then I love it because they're, they're afraid for their lives. And then Jesus, so wise, kind, and really with divine conviction, he gives them this little snippet. He says, and listen to every word because it's so important and powerful. And he begins with, I tell you, my friends. So this is not coming from a combative place. Um, but he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you uh, whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I love this. Because what what Jesus is basically saying is, I'll tell you, I know you're afraid of the Pharisees. I know you're afraid of the religious experts. I know you're afraid of them. But I'll tell you uh, who you should really fear. It's me. And here's why you don't have to fear. Guess what? It's also me. I love it. It's, it's, it's a master teaching by Jesus. Fear. Fear properly. And don't fear at all. Fear properly. Don't fear at all. In other words, what we learn, what we know, if we've embraced the gospel and understand Jesus in, in all his splendor and beauty and power, we understand that the fear of God, who is perfect love, he will eliminate all other fears, including the fear of man. In um, a 1986 article in um, Christianity Today, William D. Eisenhower, no relation to Dwight, explains how we can deal with this dichotomy from a healthy perspective. And this is really good because I want you to really take take this in because this is probably one of the best thoughts I've ever heard around the fear of God and how to understand this, this text. But he says... Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. 
How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. You see, it's a, it's a more holistic understanding of God. And I think what we do as humans is we tend to only see one side of the conversation often. And it's so important as we especially approach the Lord that we make the very best attempt that we can to flip that coin and see the other side. Because just because we talk about the fear of God doesn't mean it, it immediately erases his love. And vice versa. So, I think uh, Ola, Ola Eisenhower has something here for us. On the road, in their interactions with him, the disciples were finding that Jesus was far more powerful than they could ever imagine. And then the question was, as they continued to walk with him, was were they going to actually trust him? Were they going to really embrace him fully and trust him? Well, all, and we know the, many of the story, but although they struggled with their moments of debacles and doubts, the disciples did embrace this hard saying from Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, verses 39 through 43, we hear these words from Peter. And it's important that they come from Peter because Peter is a man that we know uh, he infamously denied Jesus because of the fear that drove him. He was now proclaiming these words he said, we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's a beautiful turn, even just for this one man. It's an interesting character study that he could go from this absolute fear of denying that he even knows, I mean, to a, to a slave girl. That's what the story tells us. He's telling this by a fire, telling this slave girl, I don't even know the guy. He's so terrified of what will happen to his body. He hasn't quite embraced what Jesus told him earlier. But now, now there's a different perspective, a different power. He, he, he certainly has the Holy Spirit uh, working and moving through him in, in full power there. And again, it's because the fear of God understood who is perfect love will eliminate the fear of what the world might do to me. It frees us to be more, more liberated than we could ever imagine. And again, I could give you more texts to prove this, but the disciples ultimately embraced this paradox 
They've, they've, they've received it. Will we? That's really the question. As we know, the disciples did because we have the history. We have the account. We have the track record. But will we? Will we embrace that as true for our lives? Well, there seems to be at least a couple obstacles to our modern minds this morning. At least that I can think of. I'm sure there's more because I'm limited and, man, my brain's... It's just very limited. Um, but I can, only, I, can, I can at least think of a couple obstacles that get in the way of our modern minds. Uh, the idolatry of security and the existence of God. I think the idolatry of security and the existence of God are kind of our, our major obstacles when understanding this text. Let's take security as I mentioned earlier, our culture is consumed with fear and anxiety around many things. Uh, could it be it's an indication that it is security that we are looking to and trusting in for stability in an unstable world? Could that be an indication where we're actually putting our trust? For example, if, if, uh, if it's politics, you'll spend this year freaking out about who's going to be the next president of the United States for the next four years, right? And you'll feel secure on the day when an election happens if your guy gets in. You'll, you'll have some security. Let's say it's health. If it's health, you'll feel guilt, shame, and then terror that your high fat and salt meal is going to send you into a coma. Um, and then you'll feel secure when you eat only healthy things, when you've gotten that uh, workout in. If it's children, you'll be the proverbial helicopter parent. Uh, you're, 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 you're valid, but overblown fear that there is a kidnapper around every corner will constrict your ability to have peace. You'll feel secure when your kids are corralled and in your perceived control. And the list can go on and on and on. You can take anything that you're finding security in, you're making an idol of, your ultimate thing, to give you, give you that security that you, that you need and want, you can place it into that, that uh, rubric. The list goes on and on. Michael Reeves, in his book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord?, he elaborates, and additionally, he touches on the existence of God peace wonderfully, saying, in a rather long quote, because, you know, can't be a sermon for me without a really long quote, um, it says, and therein is an extraordinary paradox. For we live more safely than ever before. Though we are safer than almost any other society in history, safety has become the holy grail of our culture. And like the holy grail, it is something we can never quite reach. Protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. How can this be? Quite simply, our culture has lost God as the proper object of fear. That fear of, God, that, that fear of God was a happy and healthy fear that controlled our other fears, reigning in anxiety. In ousting God from our culture, other concerns from personal health to the health of the planet have assumed a divine ultimacy in our minds. Good things have become cruel and pitiless idols, and thus we feel helplessly fragile and society fills with anxieties. The suggestion that loss of fear of God is the root cause of our culture's anxiety is a real blow to atheism. For atheism sold the idea that if you liberate people from belief in God, you will, you will liberate them from fear. 
But throwing off the fear of God has made our society happier and less, uh, but has not made our society happier and less fretful. Quite the opposite. So what does our culture do with all its anxiety? Given its essentially secular self-identity, our culture will not turn to God. The only possible solution then must be for us to sort it out ourselves. Thus, Western society has medicalized fear. Fear has become an elusive disease to be medicated. I do not mean to imply here that the use of drugs to curb anxiety is wrong, only that they are palliative, at times an important one, and not an ultimate solution. Yet, yet that attempt to eradicate fear as we would er eradicate a disease has effectively made comfort, complete absence of fear, a health category or even a moral category where discomfort was once considered quite normal and quite proper for certain situations is now deemed an es essentially unhealthy thing. Wow, that is a hot take and a very helpful one at that. And so the question really is, what is, after we, as we read uh, the, the Lord's words to have proper fear and have no fear at all, what is our individual assessment of fear? Is it uh, exclusively a negative thing to be avoided at all costs? Or is it something to learn from, even if that means feeling pain? As a Christian... Am I being swept up into an age of anxiety, or do I believe that my help and hope is actually found in the fear of God? I have some suggestions for us to cultivate the fear of the Lord in our lives, because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that fear is, is not a, a difficult uh, obstacle for me to navigate. But here are some suggestions to help one navigate fear. Number one, I would encourage each one of us to get small. To get small. We're, we're all so big. We have big egos. We have big, big thoughts around all of our, our things. I think, I think the scripture encourage us, encourages us to get small. Um, I'd encourage you to step away from your digital devices, your media outlets, the, the, the never-ending uh, rhetoric of fear that is flowing and flooding into culture. I would even encourage you to get away from uh, those pastors, those preachers who are always telling you all the fearful things, all the ter terrifying things that the world is doing to the world. I would, I would tell you, get small. Get small and take a page out of King David's life. Just go outside and look up into the heavens. And Psalm 8, 3 and 4 famously says, when I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him? It's important to understand that we're, we're finite. We're finite. We're limited. There's so much that we don't know. That much of what we encounter in life is a mystery. We know who holds us, and, and we stand upon a rock that keeps us firm. The Spirit gives us courage to walk through life day in, day out. But the reality is there is so much we just don't know. I have so many questions for which I do not have answers to. 
And, I, and, and, and when humans try to fill in those blanks for me with their, their finite, foolish, well-meaning answers, I scoff. Because they, it's, it's, it's a, big, a big finite thing coming from a small, uh, or it's a big infinite thing coming from a small, finite thing. Now, sometimes we got to just get outside and get small and look to the skies, look to the handiwork and say, wow, I'm so small and it, you've entered into my world. That's why the incarnation is so incredible and needed and necessary for us as Christians, is that Jesus comes into our world. He invades our space to be with us, to be with us, to walk with us, be with us and for us. He becomes small so that we can see his bigness. God's kind of ridiculous and weird and wonderful in that way. So what, number one, cultivating the fear of God, I'd say, get small. Pray for God to get, get you small. And then number two, sing a, sing a, sing a new song. Uh, when you see how small you are, when you see what God has done to encounter you and embrace you, what he's, the way he's gone out of his way to love us, let that um, change your tune, so to speak. Um, Psalm 96, 1 through 4 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare the, his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I mean, I know what we all talk about all the time. And it, again, it's around this culture of fear. And depending on how deep those, you know, those, those uh, hooks are in you, it can be pretty dominating. But the Lord has come into our hearts to give us a new song and take away the, this, this, this really temporal, finite fear. And they give us an eternal courage and security and peace about us. But we have, to, we have to let that resonate deep in us to where it actually changes the song that we sing. So what's the tune? What's the tune that you sing day in, day out? What's, what's the song? Is it, is it uh, you know, age of anxiety? Is it you or is it me? Age of anxiety? Or is it, is it great is the Lord and greatly to be praised? is to be feared above all gods. And I, and, and, um, I am his, and, and, and he is mine. And then finally, what we're attempting to do week in, week out, as we touch on these, touch on all of Scripture, but especially these hard sayings, e each time we're just being invited simply to behold the man, Christ Jesus, just to see him. Number three, Behold him. Hear the words of, of John the Baptist declaring, Behold him. Look. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at him. Look to the one who actually has the answers and the power to deal with these very complex problems we have in this strange and broken world. Let's look to the one who can heal. So my, my friends, 
my brothers and sisters, I, I, I invite you to take this really hard thing from Jesus and fear him and don't be afraid. Fear him and don't be afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for your word and your care over us in, um, and that you deliver your, your, your thoughts around many things, uh, and especially the, your thoughts around the things that we really need to understand in the world in which we live. And Lord, I, I pray personally that you would help me um, not to be bogged down in trying to understand mystery when uh, there are certain things, very plain and obvious things that you want me to, to embrace. And, and so, Lord, help me to get small, change my tune, and see you. Well, God, that is our heart this morning. As we continue to worship you, as we, as we prepare our hearts for the table, Jesus, that we would behold you and we'd see your, your full work uh, for us, for humanity, but for us as individuals, and embrace that. And I pray anyone in this place who is, who is um, petrified, driven, um, stirred by fear, that you would, you, you would um, help, help, help them, help us see you um, so that we would tr know how to properly fear and not be afraid at all. So God, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.